table was a little short for me, so I kind of built it up a little bit. And uh, <laughs> don't have to. Gets right in between my bifocals. You ever done that? You know, look down and find yourself sort of tromboning sometime. I did get a cortisone shot in my knee, so uh, I think I can stand it, but uh, if I don't, I'll sit down. How's that sound? Okay? It's good to be back with you, and I mean that seriously. Um, I snuck in a couple of weeks ago when Cody was here. I didn't want to be, I just snuck in, sat on the back, listened to him. Uh, I wanted to be able to encourage him, and uh, I think you made a wonderful selection. I, do. I think your committee was guided by the Lord. The thing that impressed me about this being around him was his humility. Very humble man. We know what God does to the humble, don't we? He exalts them. He exalts the humble. Uh, let me just say something about uh, when he comes. Um, he's got a lot of names to uh, remember, and you have one, him, and his wife, of course, and his child. But when you walk up to him, just walk up and say, Hi, Cody, I am Barry Camp. Now, if he calls you by name, that's fine. Uh, but, but don't think that he knows it, because it's going to take him a while. So just walk up to him and, and tell him who you are and shake his hand, okay? Again, if he calls you by name and that note. And let me say something else about uh, the easiest job in the world is to be a supply preacher or, or an uh, interim pastor. I can uh, choose sermons that I like. I can choose sermons that are fr I'm familiar with. I, and I can, don't, don't see you during the week, you know, when you have a problem, I'm not there. But your pastor is. And it's easy for me to come in here and, and, or, or, or one day supply preacher and just preach a sermon. But he has to come up with something fresh every single week. And let me tell you something, I've been doing this for 50 years. That's not easy. So if you brag, brag on your pastor. He's the one that's paying the greatest price. And uh, again, I, I, I look forward to getting to know him. I look forward to sneaking in here and worship with you from time to time. It's, it's kind of, uh, I was kind of blessed when I came in the other, the other day because this little, little first grader, bless her heart, she walked up to me and she said, well, I thought you were gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> now, forever is a long time, I'll tell you for sure. But... Uh, you know, as it goes along, if he needs to supply, I'll be happy to come and help him when he gets on vacation or something like that. So hopefully this won't be my last time with, with you. You know, I'm probably one of the few Baptist preachers that uh, cross denominational lines. I, I preach in Pentecostal churches. I preached in Pentecostal church one day, and I said, you know why us Baptists marry you Pentecostals? So we'll have a designated driver. And I mean, I heard a lady back there had a gut laugh over that. I mean, she really did. And then I preached in, uh, in fact, the end of this month, I'll be preaching in probably, I would call the most fundamental Baptist church in the city. They've asked me to come and speak. They've asked, uh, they want all the Sunday school classes to come together and me speak to them. <clears throat> and then uh, they want me to preach to the, to the congregation. Now, normally, when I preach in a fundamental Baptist church, we either have a revival or a riot. <laughs> well, <laughs> they don't introduce me. They explain me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Bible says it's the truth that sets us free. Amen. It's not Baptist doctrine, Pentecostal doctrine. It's the truth that sets us free. 
And some people are so accustomed to their version of truth that they don't want to hear the truth. But, uh, you know, I remember one Baptist church, I, I used to preach infrequently. Honestly, he would call me two or three times a year when he's on vacation or something. But I preached on spiritual gifts. He's never invited me back. Never invited me back. But why do you preach on spiritual gifts? Because God said he doesn't want you to be ignorant of them. So we're, we're doing our church an injustice if we don't talk about things like that. Uh, I preached at chapel in Truett Seminary. I preached on spiritual warfare. They didn't invite me back. And I don't care. That's fine with me. Uh, after lunch, I sat down and with the table with the professors. And one of them said, well, I thought you were too hard on the students this morning. Well, did I tell them the truth? If I told them the truth, I was not hard on them. I was being fair with them. When, that, when I was in seminary, they told me once I get out there, on the, all my doors were going to be hunky. You know what? They weren't. <laughs> and so I just kind of wanted to warn them, hey, you know what? 99% of the fire you're going to come under is the pastor is going to come within your congregation, not outside your congregation. So I preached on... Uh, having a tough skin, really. I just preached on, you know, to be a pastor, you've got to have a warm heart and a tough skin. But you better have a warm heart because you're dealing with precious people. But you better have tough skin because you're dealing with Samanri people out there sometimes, you know. But, uh, of course, this church doesn't have any. <laughs> Amen? Or on me. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, thank you for letting me come and be with you these uh, last few months. It's been a a joy to me. I, I will miss you from time to time. Don't be surprised if I don't sneak in back there and uh, just be a part of your service. And I want to make myself available to Cody. Cody any, anything I can ever do for him, I, I look forward to getting to know him, as I'm sure you do as well. So bless him when he comes. He's your, he's your leader. Uh, if he wasn't coming, if he didn't love you, he wouldn't be coming. But I believe he loves you already. And I, I, I sense you love him already, okay? So it's going to be a great situation. Well, this morning, I want to talk about why we do the things we do. Stupid things. You ever do anything stupid? Things you regret? Things you know are wrong when you do them? You, you know you're not, it's not going to edify you, it's not going to edify anybody else, but you do them anyway. Why do we do those things? We, sometimes we repent, sometimes we don't. We say, God, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to do that. I wish I hadn't said that. And then, then, you know, we find ourselves a week later, six months later, doing the same thing, don't we? Going back to God, saying, God, again, I'm sorry. I, you know, if, if, you, if you're like that, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I, I've been like that, can be like that, then you're in good company. Because Paul was like that. Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing Things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do. When I read seventh chapter of Romans, I get a headache. <laughs> I say, Paul, make up your mind. Well, he did make up his mind. But let me just, uh, if I can, just read a, a few verses here from, uh, if you want to turn and read with me, you can. In Romans chapter 7. Then we'll look at some verses there together. Look how he starts it. He says, uh, this is Romans chapter 7. He doesn't start, uh, verse uh, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. 
but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very things I hate. I can relate to that. I really can. Uh, but if I do the very things I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Let me stop there for a moment. Down in verse 15, he uses the word flesh. Over in chapter 8, he uses the word flesh three times in chapter uh, in verse 3, he uses it two times. In verse 5, he uses it once. In verse 6, he uses it in verses 8. He uses it in verses 9. Uh, verse 12, he uses it th uh, three times. In verse 13, he uses it again. So we need to understand what he means when he's talking about the, the flesh. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing the good is not. For the good that I want, uh, I do not. But I practice, that is consistently, not just occasionally, I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing that I, I, I do want, I am no longer the one doing it, but, uh, I'm sorry, I did say, it's hard to read sometimes. For if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then a principle. Listen to this. I find a principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law working in the, my body, waging war. Have I talked to you about spiritual warfare? Waging war against the law of my mind is making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who can set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, when, uh, with my mind, am, am serving the law, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. But he says, thanks be to God, he's won the victory. It's still a battle, but yet he says he has won the victory. So, he's talking about a war that's going on that each one of us are facing, and it's a, a war that, uh, of the urges that we have. Urges that we have that are spiritual and urges that we have that are not spiritual. And he said, I've won the war. And he said, you need to learn how to win the war. And so we need to realize that we're in a war. We need to understand the nature of that conflict. We understand uh, it's, a, it's a struggle to control us. If Satan can control our mind, he can control us. Now, he uses the word flesh so many times. I, I, I gave reference to some of them. What does the flesh mean? Does it mean this? Is, is, this, is this the flesh he's talking about? No. Uh, if you look up the word flesh in Vine's Expository Dictionary, New Testament words, this is what it says. The weakest element of our human nature. The weakest element of our human nature. So we're going to look today at that, what that means. What is that human nature? That's something that we're born with. Okay? We're born with it. 
Well, listen to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, uh, we are all by nature the children of wrath. Wrath means anger. We're all by nature, okay, in that category. Listen to Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short. Not just some, but all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen to James 1 and verse 14. Each, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by, or enticed by his own lust. Where do those lusts come from? They come from within. They come from that nature that we were born with. And David knew that. Listen to what David said thousands of years ago. He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, he's not talking about he was a product of illegitimate birth. He was saying that he was born in iniquity, and when he was born, he was born with a sin nature that was bent toward sin. And we all have that. If we don't have that, then where do, where's all these temptations come from? Okay? Why is it that we have to teach our, and I, and I have three children, lost one, of course, when she was seven years old. But why is it that I had to teach my children how to do good? Why is it that I had to teach them to tell the truth and not lie? Why did I have to teach them not to have temper tantrums? Why did I have to teach them when they got older not to rebel against their parents? I remember one night as a teenager, my, I told my daughter she couldn't go somewhere. About 1 o'clock in the morning, she called me on the phone to tell me I couldn't tell her where she could go or not go anymore. You know what? She was at that place that I told her she couldn't go. What, what, it, what is it in us that causes us to be so rebellious? What is it that, that causes us just to say, we don't want to, don't tell us what we can do and what we can't do. We're going to do what we want to do. The Bible says it is that sin nature that we all inherited from Adam. As in one man, sin came into the world, and through Jesus Christ, of course, he conquered that for us. But we all have, sometimes it's called an Adamic nature. Uh, again, he says this is what we have. We're, we're born with it. Uh, listen to Jeremiah 17 in verse 9. It says, this is, what he, this is how he describes the heart, okay? He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart? Yes. He says, thy heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, the word desperately there simply means incurable. It's incurable. When you go to the doctor and he runs some tests and say, you know what? Unfortunately, I've got some bad news for you today. Well, what is it? You have a disease that's incurable. Now, maybe we can slow it down a little bit, but it's basically incurable. There's nothing we can do apart from divine intervention of God. That's exactly what every one of us in this room have. And we were born with it. And we try our best to overcome it. We think, well, man, maybe I'll just go to church. If I go to church, that'll make me better. I'll be a good person if I go to church. Some of the meanest people I've ever met go to church. <laughs> I really do. Well, maybe if I give, maybe if I get back. I've been baptized three times. So I'm, I'm, if church Christ, I'm good. Man, I am good. My mother was a PK. I, I, come, I told you this before. I come from a long line of Methodist preachers. I, I was the black sheep that went into the Baptist. But uh, 
My uncles were Baptist, Baptist preachers. My grandfather's a Baptist preacher. And uh, so, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but anyway, I got it out. So, yeah. <laughs> well, here's what it says. It says, regardless of your background, you can be a PK, you can grow up in, in a church, but we all have that nature that it, that's not going to be cured by that. In fact, the Bible says all of our deeds, all of our methods that we try to overcome that evil spirit and try to, uh, you know, get over it. He says it, it's filthy and unclean rags. So, what do we do? Well, wonderfully, well, let me say this. I, I know growing up, people say, well, you just need to try harder. Try harder. If you try harder, you'll, you'll make it. That's like going up to a guy in a wheelchair and say, get out of that chair. I can't. Well, try harder. He can't. And let me tell you something. We can try as hard as we want to to overcome that spirit that we were born with, but we're not going to overcome it. I don't care how hard we try. I don't care how many times we go to church. You're not going to overcome it. But guess what? God's got good news for us. He can. And he does. And it's called giving us a new nature. Listen to Ezekiel. This is way back in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. A new spirit I will put within you. When God saves us, he doesn't overhaul something that's old. I was surprised this week. I was listening to a preacher, and he, he used that analogy, but it's not true. I, I'm, in my humble but accurate opinion, it's not true. When God saves us, he does not overhaul something old in us. He gives us something new, and it's called being born again. And until we're born again, we're controlled, as Paul said in this passage, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. We're controlled by that old spirit. And, and this is how it happened for me. When I was a teenager, uh, I knew something was missing in my life. I didn't know what it was. Joy, of course, and I went to school together, Sulphur Springs, but I had all these accolades in school. You know, I was class favorite, and I was the king of the Valentine Banquet, and I was class favorite, and I was all this stuff. But when I finished high school, none of that stuff, I running back on a, a very bad football team. <laughs> running back on a very bad football team. But all those things that kind of helped soothe it a little bit, but when I was a teenager, I, I knew some of the things. I, 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 they were wrong. I shouldn't do them. I caught myself taking God's name in vain. Every time I did it, I would just under my breath say, God, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Forgive me, I didn't mean to do that. But I couldn't overcome it. I couldn't overcome it. And finally, I bought me a Bible and started reading it. And I... I got to read enough to know that I couldn't change myself. But I got to reading enough to know that he could change me. And I remember that day well, Paradise Inn, Sulphur Springs, Texas, room 120, getting down on my knees and saying, God, if you're real, and I believe you are real, and I believe Jesus died for my sins so I could be a different person, please come into my life. I opened the door, 
And I said, please come in. And you know what? It didn't take 30 minutes to know that he came in. I told you before, because when I went back to work and I heard those uh, foul languages again, when I heard people cursing again in that meat market and taking God's name in vain and telling dirty stories, I thought, hallelujah. That sounds dirty to me for the first time in 20 years of my life. And I knew that God changed me. A wonderful story about that, how that works is in John chapter 3. The Bible says there was a man whose name was Nicodemus, and he was a ruler among the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He was in charge of keeping the law of the, of the Bible. But you know what he discovered? He discovered the same thing that we're all going to discover. Religion will not satisfy you. It will not satisfy you. But there was something about Jesus. So the Bible says that Nicodemus went to Jesus by night. Not because he was ashamed to see him during the day, but he was, Jesus was so busy during the day. And he needed to talk to him, so he went by night. He said, he said Master, I know that you're a person that's come from God, a teacher. I know that you're a person come from God. For, for no man can do the miracles you do except God be with him. And Jesus saw his heart went straight to the point. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know what the Bible, you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians? He said, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness in him. How can he receive them? He, Nicodemus couldn't receive the things of the Spirit until he was born again. So Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, Nicodemus, not understanding spiritual things, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus graciously said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. And he said, the wind bloweth where it, where it wants to. And you hear the sound thereof. You know where it's coming from, where it's going. But you don't know, you, don't, you, can't, see the, you can't see the wind. But you can see what's in the wind. You can see the dust. You can see the leaves. You can't see the Spirit of God, but you can see what the Spirit of God's doing in a person's life. And so Jesus said, you mean you're a master of Israel and you don't know this is what I'm talking about? Surely he should have known what Ezekiel said way back there that God would put a new spirit in. But that's what happened when we're born again. And the word born again means to be begotten from above. Prior to being born again, you have that one spirit operating in you, that Adamic spirit, the one you were born with that's bent towards sin. But when, you're, but when we're born again... God sends His Spirit into our life, and suddenly not only do we have the power to overcome sin, but we have the desire to overcome sin. Paul's works in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. But, we'll, but we need to understand this. Now, some people teach against this. I, I think I'm right. I'm pretty sure I'm right. And I think I can show you some scriptures that I'm right. Many people teach that when we're saved and born again, God sends us a new spirit, but the old spirit stays intact. It doesn't, it doesn't leave. It stays. I'm sorry. That's what I believe. No, they say that. Well, they say this. They, when, you're, when you're born again, the old spirit dissipates. That's what I'm trying to say. It leaves. It's, and they, they base that on the scripture that says, if any man be in Christ, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Well, let me tell you something. It may have done it for them, but it didn't do it for me. That old spirit was still around. That old spirit would say, do it. The new spirit would say, don't do it. 
The old spirit would say, be selfish, do it for yourself. The new spirit would say, no, do it for others. So there was that war that was going on. And it, again, it doesn't, uh, in, in my thing, and I'll show you again a scripture, uh, why it doesn't go, well, listen to what Paul said. Paul said, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Wait a minute. If when you got saved, the old spirit left, was done away with, why is there still a warfare going on? But he specifically says that. He's talking about the new spirit. He says the flesh lusts against that new spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That means the old nature is still there. Let me tell you something. That old nature will never agree with your new nature. There'll always be that fight. That's what Paul was talking about when, in verse 7. I mean, in chapter 7 of Romans, you're still, there's still a warfare going on. In fact, it's more an intense warfare than it ever was. Before you were saved, Satan had you right where he wanted you, doing what he wanted you to do. But then when you got saved and God's Spirit came into your life, and then that Spirit was leading you toward righteousness and toward doing the things that please God. And the Bible is filled with many examples of that struggle. Even back in the Old Testament. Remember a guy by the name of Joseph? Joseph must have been a fairly attractive man. He became a slave to Potiphar. He lived in Potiphar's house. The Bible says that Potiphar's wife was attracted to him and tried to you know, get him to commit adultery with her, and he refused to do it. But uh, Genesis uh, 39 and verse 10 says it happened day by day. Not just occasional temptation, but day by day she was pursuing him. And finally one day he did what the Bible tells us we have to do, and that's flee. He, he tried to flee, to get away from her. And, of course, she grabbed part of his uh, clothes. And when her husband got home, she told him that, you know, he tried to do this, which he didn't. He didn't. He was unjustly accused, but God vindicated him in the end. And he'll vindicate us. Then you come to a man by the name of David. You know what the Bible says about David. It's not what David said about David. It's what God said about David. He's a man after my own heart. But David allowed himself to be in a compromising situation. He saw Bathsheba. He lusted for Bathsheba. I'm sure the spirit within, you know, that spirit said, well, you know, your king, do whatever you want to. Get her, take her, bring her to your palace. He brought her to her palace and impregnated her. Then he sent for her husband. Well, come back and sleep with her so it'll, you'll think it's your child. But he was a man of such integrity. He said, well, if my other soldiers aren't allowed to go back and be with their wives, then I'm not going to go back and be with my wife. I'll sleep outside on the porch. You know what sin does? It always breeds more sin. Always. So David calls his army officers up and says, put him on the front line and leave him there until he's dead. Thanks, boy, I got away with that, didn't I? Let me tell you one scripture in the Bible that you'll always, 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 it'll always, always prove itself to be true, and that's this. Be sure your sins will find you out. I wonder sometime, had David repented until that prophet came, but a prophet came to him. He said, David, you're the king. You, you make judgments. If somebody has one little sheep... Somebody comes along and steals that one little sheep. What would you do? Oh, man, I would severely punish that guy. He said, you're the man. 
You're the guy. Was David sorrowful? Did he repent? Read the 51st, read the Psalms 51. You'll read his repentant heart. God forgave him, but he didn't get rid of the consequences. I think it was because of the position David was in, the position of authority, that he punished him, didn't he? He said, David, the sword of the Lord will never depart from your house. And it didn't. But the spirit will give us power to flee. Again, that other spirit will say, do it. God's spirit will say, don't do it. But we need to do, we need to do, we need to know that we're in that battle. I know I've talked about this before. Um, It starts by recognizing there's a battle. I'm going to guess that most of the people sitting in this room don't recognize that. And I'm not saying that puts you down. I'm just saying that most people in this room do not recognize that you're in a spiritual battle right now. Satan is out to get you. He's out to destroy your witness. He's out to destroy your family. He's out to destroy everything he can because that's all he comes to do is kill, steal, and destroy. It's his only nature. And until we realize that we're in a spiritual battle, we're not going to prepare for a spiritual battle. Well, how do you prepare for a spiritual battle? Know you're in one. Get up in the morning and put your armor on. There's too many spiritual streakers out there. Get up in the morning and streak off to work, and you don't have the helmet of salvation on, the breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, and you just streak out there, and you run into the enemy, and you're unprepared to deal with him. Be prayed up. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We'll look at that again in just a moment. So, what do we do? How do we overcome? How did Paul overcome? I mean, first of all, Paul got born again. God's Spirit came to reside in him. If you're not born again, you're our bait for the devil. I mean, he's got fresh meat right in front of him. He, he's going to control you. You're not going to realize it, but you're going to find yourself doing things that you shouldn't do, and you're wondering why you do them, because that spirit, that old spirit is there, and you need to be born again so that new spirit will come. So, a few things I want to talk about real quick. Number one is this. Recognize what sin is. It is a trap. It's a trap. He wants to trap us. He wants to destroy our witness. He wants to wreck our lives, wreck our home. When I was a kid living on a farm, we had chickens. And at night, we, the coyotes would come, do everything they could to tear up the fence, to get in there and kill the chickens. So I started setting traps. In my wisdom of trap setting, I just set it out there and left it. Next morning, I come out there, there it was. Next night, set the trap. Next morning, come out, there it is. Finally, it got through to me. You have to camouflage that trap. He's not going to walk up, that fox or coyote, he's not going to walk up and get in that trap if you don't camouflage it. Satan is a master at camouflaging sin. He can make it look glamorous. The Bible says there's pleasure in it. If there weren't pleasure in it, we wouldn't do it. So he makes it look very pleasurable to us, fulfilling to us, but it's a trap. He will trap us. 
He says it appeals to the eyes, the flesh, and the pride of life. It'll draw you in, but listen to me. It'll destroy you. Secondly, we understand we need, well, I've said number two. Number two, we need to realize it will destroy us. That's what sin does. It destroys. It will destroy our lives. It'll destroy our marriages. It'll destroy our church. It will destroy our nation. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. Well, if righteousness exalts a nation, then sin brings a nation down. It destroys. It's like a cancer. I had prostate cancer a few years ago, and I had to have uh, surgery. But once the surgery was completed, a, a year or so later, the little bacterial something was still left there. It showed up. So I went through 34 radiation treatments. 34. You remember AIDS, when AIDS was such a, a problem in our nation, and people were dying of AIDS? A little microscopic germ got into our system and destroyed our immune system. Look at David. What does David's sin do? It destroys Looks good. You think you're going to get fun doing it, but it destroys. It provides the kicks, but then comes the kickbacks. Uh, you know what young people do? Listen to me, young people. They sow their wild oats and then pray for crop failure. Doesn't work that way. I had had a father tell me one time, what school idiocy did you graduate from? But here's what he told me. He said, I'd rather my son sow his wild oats when he's young than when he's old. What? Well, are you going to be honest enough to tell your son that if he sows them, he's going to have to reap them? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. Then when we reap them, we blame, try to blame somebody else. It wasn't my fault. Yes, it was your fault if you sowed them. Is there forgiveness? Yes. But consequences. When I was in Tulsa, one of my secretaries, uh, well, actually the church secretary, came to me one day crying, and she said, my husband just told me last night he was going to divorce me and marry a woman at the office. Would you talk to him? I said, I'll talk to him if he'll talk to me, but chances are he won't want to talk to me. But, but he did. I was surprised. We went to lunch together. Now listen to what he said to me. He said, Barry, I'm going to divorce my wife. I'm going to marry my secretary. I'm going to confess my sin to God. He's going to forgive me, and we're going to live happily ever longer. Do you know how many things are wrong with that? First of all, there's no real confession unless there's Repentance. You know what confession means? It doesn't mean to tell God something that he didn't know before. It means to agree with God. When you confess your sin, you're saying, God, I agree with you. What I did was wrong. You see, he didn't make a confession. He made an acknowledgement. But because there was no repentance, there was no true confession. Now, whatever happened to him, I don't know. I left. Went to another church. But I don't, I don't know. But here's the thing about it. You do it. You're sorry you do it. Wish you hadn't have done it. 
You say, God, forgive me, but it doesn't wipe it away from your conscience. Am I the only person in this room that have done things that I can't quit thinking about? Has God forgiven me? Yes. Yes, he's forgiven me. He's cleansed me from all unrighteousness. But I can't forget it. And there's many times the devil won't let you forget it. You keep bringing it up. The Bible says, well, a guilty conscience needs no accuser. So let's rely upon the Holy Spirit for strength. As believers, and I'm, I'm winding it down right now, but listen to this wonderful verse of Scripture. Verse John 4 and verse 4 says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. When you get saved, guess what happens to you? A greater spirit comes into you than the spirit that's in this world, than the spirit you had before. And he's there to help you if you'll allow him to. And so we, we depend upon him, and he, he gives us the strength. Again, uh, you know, not only do I not do some of the things I used to do, I don't want to do the things I used to do. When God saved me, He changed my warner. He'll change your warner. I've had men say to me, try to trap me and say, Now, preacher, you can't tell me if you're out in Lubbock somewhere and you're way away from your family, nobody knows what's going on in your temple. You can't tell me for sure that you wouldn't do that. I said, I can tell you for sure. I pray that I won't do that. I say, Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. You know why I do that? Because I don't want to do it. Three things that I'm through. Well, I'm never through, but I quit. Uh, this is, I, can, I can quote this scripture, but I want to read it because it's so important. Listen to, I love this verse of scripture. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation. You know what no means? It means no. None, zero, nada. Okay? No temptation has overcome you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you might be able to endure it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That scripture tells us three things about sin. Number one, it tells us it's, it's not unique to us. Remember the old song, nobody knows the trouble I'm in, nobody knows my sorrow, nobody knows what I'm going through. Everybody knows what you're going through. We've all been through it. It's not unique to you. Get over it. Let somebody help you. They know what you're going through. They've been there. So it's not unique. N number two, he limits the temptation. He promises us, and he keeps his promises, I will not put more on you than what you're able to bear. Don't, say my, don't be like Flip Wilson. Well, the devil made me do it. You hear the story of the preacher's wife? She came home one day with a very expensive dress. Her pastor looked at, us, looked at her and said, Honey, we can't afford that dress. Why didn't you say, Get thee behind me, Satan? She said, I did. And he said, It looks good from the back, too. <laughs> it looks good, but it's not good. He limits it. And then number three, he says, I will make the way of escape. 
a tailor-made one just for us. He'll give you that way of escape if you'll let him. But you have to let him. And then again, I said I'd repeat this verse again, and I'll be through Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. It says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Real quickly, how do we walk in the Spirit? We get up every day, we begin the, the, the day with God. You know, let me, let me say this to you. Just because you get up and spend a little quiet time, that doesn't mean that the devil's not going to come around. I've heard people say, well, you need to begin every day with an hour with God. Men, you're married. How would you feel if you told your wife, listen, I spent the first hour with you, the rest of the day is mine. Don't, don't nag me. I spent the first hour with you. No, you want to spend the rest of the day with her if you can. You don't want to just get up in the morning and say, God, I'm going to give you the first hour, then the rest of the, the, rest of the day is mine. No, it's not. Throughout the day, be conscious of the Spirit. Be conscious of the fact that the devil's out there trying to trap you, trying to destroy you, trying to ruin you. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Take up that sword of the Spirit. And if you'll walk in the Spirit, he promises you this. He promises me this. We will not fulfill the law of the, of the flesh. Renew our mind daily in the Word. Amen. Wow. The devil's got a great big circle around, that great big bullseye on you right now. He's got a bullseye on your family. He's got a bullseye on you, on your witness. But greater is he that's in you. That's he that's in that world. And you can overcome. It's a battle, but the battle has already been won. We just have to show up, suit up, Get in it. Stand with me.